50 years ago, my family and I traveled out west, got our camper, headed out, saw lots of things. And one of the places that we went it was to Yellowstone Park. Anybody ever been to Yellowstone? Some of you? Yep. Good place. Lots of wildlife. Get to see the bison coming up near your car, and you all kind of squeeze together, wondering what's going to happen next. And sometimes the bears are out there getting in the trash or other kinds of things. But we just made sure, you know, we had just a regular camper, and so made sure our food was in the camper, not out and about. But one of the coolest things was to see Old Faithful, not Old Yeller, Old Faithful. And, uh, you know, that was 50 years ago, and that geyser is still spouting. And it's been spouting for a long time, and who knows how long it will continue. Every 60 to 80 minutes, just faithfully spouting year after year after year. So we come to Malachi 2 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open there. You can also use the back of your bulletin for taking notes. And Malachi 2 is all about faithfulness. Just like that geyser, old faithful. Most of all, God is faithful. And so he calls us to be faithful in our relationships. And this is how he transforms us. If we know Christ as Savior, it's how he helps us to become more Christ-like is through relationships. Be faithful because God is faithful and God transforms you through faithfulness. Now we have some hard things that we're going to talk about this morning. We've been talking about how Malachi is a family meeting. And it's like a dad and mom and the kids sit down together and they say, we've got some things we've got to talk about. And Malachi is like that all throughout the book, and this morning, a part of the topic here is divorce. That's a hard topic to talk about, isn't it? And what I want you to know is that my heart is tender for you, that like many of you, there have been personal experiences in our family, and the pain of Going through a divorce is real and great, and my heart as a pastor is for you. Most of all, God, God's heart is for you and not against you if you've suffered through a divorce. And we as a church want to be kind of church where we hold marriage highly, and yet we recognize that hurt also happens. And then I also want you to know, especially as we celebrate communion this morning, all of us come as broken people. All of us, including me, we come as broken people. And life is hard, and sometimes marriage is hard, and that's the posture in which we come. Just so you know that, as we dig into the passage, don't walk away with your head hanging down. Let's come to God and ask God to help us to grow and learn and so Matthew, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 starts off. It tells us, this is a general principle here, be faithful in our relationships. And it asks some questions in Malachi 2.10. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? talks in this section about breaking faith. And... About five times in chapter 2. 
talks about breaking faith. In verse 10, verse 11, verse 14, verse 15, and 16. God wants us to be faithful in our relationships. In our marriage relationship, in our friendships, in our, in our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants us to have the kinds of relationships in which we can count on one another, encourage one another, build one another up, grow together. And that's the primary thrust of this passage stated in a positive kind of a way is be faithful to God, be faithful to one another. The point is that we're only as good as our word. We're only as good as the covenant we make with God, with one another. Our commitments to one another are fragile. And hurt needs to be worked through and processed. And what can happen when we give in to selfish emotions is we start choosing for ourselves and that can lead to hurt, chaos, communication problems, frustration, sorrow. It's like the man who feels like he's stuck in his commitments. Begins to feel like, oh, I've got a commitment to my job, I've got a commitment to my wife, I've got a commitment to my kids, I can't take it anymore. It's like a mom who just feels like she's just giving and giving and giving and giving. And begins to say, I can't take it anymore. It's like the college student who has made a faith commitment during high school years, gets off to college, and all the pressures of other ways of thinking he begins to erode his or her faith. Those kinds of things happen. Three reasons to be faithful, to keep our promises here in this particular verse. Lots of other reasons, but in this particular verse, first of all, it says, because we have a father. In other words, in the church, we are a family. In our marriage relationships, we have one who is our father together. And then it reinforces that by saying we have one creator. God created us. Male and female, it says he created us. He's created you. He's the one who understands the purposes of what life is all about. He understands what his plan is for life and the way life works best. And we begin to choose for self. We begin to think, well, I know what's best. I'm choosing for myself. And we begin to get in this framework where we're thinking, you're choosing for yourself, I'm choosing for myself, rather than following God together, loving one another 100% each. If I begin to break faith in my commitments, I begin to think, you have one plan over here, I have another plan over here, instead of asking, what's God's plan? We can get out of whack. Thirdly, it says that when we act unfaithfully toward one another, we profane the covenant of our fathers. There was a commitment, a covenant that God had with Abraham that he would be their God. They would be his people. 
and that as they walked in relationship with him that he would bless them and so likewise we have the same covenant as we walk in fellowship with God in that covenant relationship God blesses us in that and when we betray a trust then we act like God's unable to keep us, God's not able to protect us, God's not able to work this out. We begin to think that somehow this relationship is impeding me from living the American dream or living my romantic dream or living some dream that I've made up in my head rather than seeking God's supernatural dream. So, it's going to take us being people of radical integrity and faithfulness. To be faithful. Because we, we know our hearts, our minds, our emotions are prone to get off track. And so, God reminds us over and over again, come back to Him. Begin there, because He's our Father, He's our Creator He's the one who makes this covenant with us. So, why are we faithful? Because of who God is with us. And then we're faithful with one another. So he begins to hone in on marriage in verses 11 and 12. It says, Judah's broken faith, a detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judas desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord that he loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. So we're going to be talking quite a bit about marriage. If you're single here this morning, don't just tune out. Number one, there are principles here that apply to all relationships. Number two, you might be married at some point. And so listen in to what God has to say. There's lessons in this passage for commitments we make. Verses 11 and 12, the problem that they were having was that they were marrying unbelievers. Strong language. He calls it a detestable thing. They were choosing wives who did not worship the true God, who did not have faith in the God of the Bible. And the words that are used is they are desecrating. Not a kind of word we use much. Be like if somebody goes out to a cemetery and knocks over all the headstones. And we would say they're desecrating the cemetery. They're disrespecting a sacred place. And so that's the idea here is this relationship that you're going to have as husband and wife is to be a holy thing, is to be a covenantal thing, is to be set apart. The opposite of desecrate would be consecrate. That's what it means, is to be set apart, to be consecrated. He's saying marriage is designed to be consecrated. To marry an unbeliever, as they were doing, is to act as if your relationship with God doesn't matter. And so, whatever age you are, if you're single, this is the time to commit and say, God, I'm going to find someone who shares my commitment to you, who loves Jesus like I do. Not to wait until it's in the emotion of the moment when 
She looks pretty, he looks strong, and your emotions take over. So that's one possible commitment for you to make today, just to be married to a believer. And what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that those of us who are married know that your commitment, your love for Jesus, affects everything. It affects how you treat one another, affects how you treat other people, affects your decisions with money, with time, with energy, with having fun, with how you parent. It affects everything. So it's important to make that decision up front. Then verses 13 through 15, why we stay married. Another thing you do, you flood the old Lord's altars with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Marriage is a partnership. Is it or not, if you're married? Or is it just a business relationship? Are you housemates? Are you just parents? It's a partnership together with one another. And before we begin to talk about breaking faith, we need to talk about being proactive. Are you being proactive to invest in one another, to love one another, to go out on date nights, to go places together, to be involved together, having fun, loving one another. If we're proactive, then we don't have to be reactive when the heat is on. Marriage is a partnership. Are you being a partner? Now there's a question in this passage as far as whose tears were flooding the altar. Could be the women who were hurting and men held all the cards at this time. And so the women were suffering greatly and certainly they were crying. But it seems like maybe it's the fake tears of the men saying, God, why aren't you blessing me? God, why aren't my crops reaping fruit? God, why aren't things going well for me? And they're crying out to God. Faking it. Don't fake it. I think that's what's going on. Is that these men were not being loyal to the faith, and yet they had their position in the community and the religious things that they were going through. And we can do the same thing. Going through the motions without the reality. And so God always says, don't do that. Look deep inside and ask what's really going on. Peter reminded the men in 1 Peter to treat their wives with respect as joint heirs of the covenant, as partners. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. 
Now, look back here in Malachi. The response of the men, verse 14, was to challenge the word of the prophet. Well, why? Why? What, what have we done? We didn't do anything. Not our fault. Those women, you, you don't know. They, they just, uh, you know, they just cause problems. I can't get along with her. That's the kind of conversation apparently they were having and rationalizing their sin. So why stay married? Marriage is a partnership. Be a partner. And then secondly, it says, because the most important witness in our covenant of marriage is God himself. So it says here. It says, the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. To agree together is to live together as husband and wife, as marriage partners. Theologian Johnny Depp says, marriage can be whatever you define it as. Really, Johnny? No. Marriage is a covenant before God. Now, there's a lot we could say about covenant. The Bible talks a lot about covenant. We have covenant with Noah, covenant with Moses. We have the old covenant and the new covenant. In fact, it's a part of what we celebrate this morning in communion. But for the short amount of time we have, just important to remember that marriage is more than a promise, that relationships are more than a promise, that God is the essential person in our marriage covenant, and that God's involved in all of life in relationship. Now, when I perform a marriage um, ceremony, these days, a lot of times, people sign the license during the marriage ceremony, but sometimes we do it afterward. And so, maid of honor signs it, the best man signs it. They do that as witnesses. If I can remember, I get sent over to the courthouse, which I usually remember. Um, I, th I think there was one time I might have forgotten, and I got a reminder, get it in. Uh, so, who's the most important witness, though? God, really, God. One in flesh and spirit, there are his. Why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. The Lord designs a marriage relationship to be unified and purposeful. As I said earlier, we're love the one we're with. And so, don't leave today in shame. Come renewed in your own marriage. If you're married, come renewed in your relationship and commit yourself today and in the future. The reason why we remain unified is because God designed marriage as one man and one woman. Genesis 2, 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. You are one. It's the most repeated verse in the Bible. Did you know that? Back there in Genesis 2, 24, then Stated here in Malachi, stated in Ephesians, stated in Matthew. 
Now, if you're having this family meeting and the dad is leading the meeting and he says something several times, you think that's important? Yep. And when God says something several times in Scripture, is it important? Yep. So this is a very important truth that God wants to communicate to us. The two will be one. Now think about this. God could have given many wives to Adam, right? They say, well, he couldn't handle more than one. I'm not saying anything either way. But uh, God's design is that he and Eve would be one. That if we're married, that we would be one together. So Gary Thomas, in his book Sacred Marriage, puts it this way. He says, in a man-centered view... We'll maintain our marriage as long as our earthly comforts, desires, and expectations are met. So he's saying there's one view of marriage to just do things that feed you. Man-centered is what he calls this kind of marriage. Then he says in a God-centered view, we preserve our marriage because it brings glory to God and points a sinful world to a reconciling creator. Sometime... If you're married, or think you might be married at some point, it's worth reading this book to reflect on God's purpose for marriage. Some good practical kinds of ideas in there as well. But that's one of the good books I'd encourage you to pick up. It says, we're to be one in flesh and spirit. In other words, outwardly and inwardly. In both body and in relationship. And then verse 16 gives us this hard verse. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. Now notice, first of all, that the Lord does not say he hates someone who is divorced. He says, I hate divorce because of the pain that it brings. And he also says there's some other things he hates. We'll get to in a second. Strong words here. There are complicated situations that people get themselves into. There are difficult situations, we know, that go on in marriages and families. Complicated situations. And people can end up divorced and never expected to be in that position, right? Even under the best of circumstances, divorce causes great pain. It says that two are one. And so it's like, you ever see on television sometimes, like in a sporting event, someone breaks a bone and they said, ooh, that bone came out of the, out of the skin. We're not going to show you. I saw that about two weeks ago. It was a football game. And they said, we're not going to show you that picture. I thought, thank you. And so that's... What happens when a, when a marriage breaks apart? It's the, the, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain of what was one becoming two. That's why the Lord gets so worked up about this. And it's not just 
it's not just the breaking apart, going through the court system. We all know it's the, the process as well. And like I say, I'm talking to you today. This is God's word. And so we take it where we're at today. And we're proactive today. We're repentant today. We're coming before God as broken people today asking God help me with my marriage today to grow, to persevere, to be refined. Now notice that God adds something else that he hates. Do you see that? Here in this verse he says I also hate violence. And sometimes there's violence in marriages and God hates that too. And then there's a lot of things that are mentioned here the Lord hate, that the Lord hates in Proverbs 6.16. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. And then other passages mentions evil and lying tongues and robbery and iniquity and false worship. And so divorce is not something that's irredeemable. Just something that hurts a lot. Something that causes a lot of pain and consequences that are hard to heal. And so that's why the passage talks with such stark language. Malachi 2, 16 and 17. So guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith. You've wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. Or where's the God of justice? In other words, they're getting everything messed up and they're saying, this isn't fair, this isn't fair. Not nothing fair about it. When people are hurting, nothing fair about it. And... Words come out fast and hard and angry and actions are taken that are tough. No marriage is perfect and all of us who are married know there's going to be ups and downs and times of financial pressure at times and times when we disagree and times when we're hard-hearted and I mentioned this in the first service and my observation about 75% of the time that men are more hard-hearted than women are and that uh, we as guys have a special commission to be tender toward our wives to love them as Ephesians 5 says as Christ loved the church Certainly it says in Ephesians 5 that wives respect their husbands as well, but that is a really important calling for, for all of us, but especially for us as men. The point of the passage is don't give up. It's worth working through the problems if with God's help, with God's spirit, and we need him so much, don't we? Because we do come. Broken people with lots of things, lots of experiences, lots of hurts, things that have happened in life, families of origin that were broken and dysfunctional. And it does take God's Spirit, sometimes 
helping counselors or pastors or those who know God's word and can come alongside of us, can help us to work through those things. And so, as pastors, we're available to you. Lynn has her ultimate journey counseling that she does. We have other kinds of Christian counseling opportunities that are available, and we're here to be a help. Do you want to do that if there's things that can be helped? And there usually is. Chapter 3, we'll just touch briefly on chapter 3. It brings this to a conclusion. All of our experiences in life, the difficult experiences in life, can be a refining process. But we're, since we're talking about marriage today, my title is that marriage is a refining process. Verses 1 through 5, this passage talks about how the Lord comes and he's a refining fire. And that refining fire burns off the impurities like with gold and silver that's impure, and it burns off, and then those impurities are skimmed off. And so that's what God does in our lives as well, is during those heated times, those difficult times, he forges us and molds us to become more pure, more refined, more like Jesus. Who wants to grow through those things? I don't. But God does that if we're willing to stick in there and allow him to refine us. So Gary Thomas in his book Sacred Marriage has this subtitle on his book. Listen closely. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? That's the question he's asking. That's the question if you're married this morning I'll ask you and invite you to consider whether you're married or not, consider what it means to be faithful in your relationships, how we can keep from breaking faith with friends, with church members, brothers and sisters, how we can stay faithful because God is faithful first. And a part of God's faithfulness is given to us in communion as an illustration of what it means to have that covenant relationship. He's given us this awesome symbol of the bread and the cup to show us what it meant that he died on the cross for us and cements that relationship with him in our hearts and then invites us to live that out in relationship with one another. Our communion time is for those who have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I believe, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I trust in him, and I want to follow him. And so if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower of his, we invite you to the communion table to come down the center aisle, come by the tables, pick up the bread and the cup, and return to your seats in a worshipful manner. If you need some help, we're glad to help you. Just elbow neighbor. They can pick up your bread and your cup for you. So at this time, let's continue to worship through communion.